MSW Media. News was swearing. Daily beans, daily beans, daily beans, daily beans. Hello. Welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, January 25th, 2021. Today, Trump attempted to install an ally as attorney general to overturn the results of the election. Seven senators have filed an ethics complaint against Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley as we learn the Trump campaign funded leaders of the insurrection. Majority Leader Chuck Schumer agrees to postpone the Senate impeachment trial to February 8th. The Biden administration is prepared to overturn Trump abortion rules and reinstate transgender people serving openly in the military. And the House Ways and Means Committee re-ups the Trump tax subpoena. I'm A.G. And I'm Dana Goldberg. How was your weekend? Oh, it was, uh, you know, it was fine. Everything's, every weekend just seems to be better now. Mm -hmm. I I don't have that impending doom feeling of worrying that the president's going to kill us over the weekend, you know, get us all killed. Uh, So it's good. I mean, I, I, there's a lot of work to do, but I still feel pretty positive. So how about yours? Good. Yeah. First weekend without uh, the Orange Menace in the White House was nice, was relaxing. Uh, I've seen, you know, like... Uh, Kong Godzilla versus Kong tweets. There's been some cat videos posted. Uh, <laughs> people are talking about football. You know, it's just sort of seems like we've all taken a collective sigh yeah. and um, and that things are moving forward. And there's lots of news to cover. Uh, and you and I now are going to be doing a live show a live Q&A interactive sort of thing and uh are we going to do that are we moving that to Thursdays at five I think happy hour Thursdays um and we can get some feedback from the listeners too I think happy hour at five when people are done with work is a little easier than two o'clock on a Friday so if you disagree with that or if you do agree with that I don't know give a little thumbs up on Twitter or something with it but every uh I think every Thursday at five we should get people home and have a drink Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's what we're going to do Thursdays at five Pacific time. Uh, and then Tuesdays at five Pacific time, I do the same thing with Andrew Torres. So Tuesdays, we do criminal justice. Thursdays, we do social justice and cocktails. And we follow us both on the stereo app. If it download it, it's, you know, they're going to want your firstborn child. You don't have to give it to them. Just know that. Uh, we had some fantastic listeners and questions last week that just gave me so much joy. People that just did not want us to stop the show. <laughs> Yeah. And we'll be doing that for an hour. And uh, like Dana says, it's interactive. So you can record questions. We'll answer them. Uh, and the stereo app is free. Yes, they'll ask you for like, you know, give us your social security. No, they don't ask for that. But you, you don't have to. You can say no and still be part of the <laughs> of the thing. And it's it's really fun. You fill it out. They say, can we have this? And then you go, nope. And then they let you in anyway. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yep, I, I concur. Oh, the guest this week. I don't mean to jump. I'm so excited. She's one of my favorite. She's one of my favorite people on this planet. She is incredible. I'm going to be talking to Charlotte Clymer for two blocks this show. The first block, her, uh, she and I are going to discuss Tom Cotton and his uh, disgusting lie about having served as an Army Ranger. And she's going to talk about the differences between graduating from Army Ranger School and actually being one and uh, that you can't just say you are one. And then uh, second half of that interview, we're going to talk about uh, how the Biden administration is going to 
uh, tackle issues for the LGBTQ plus community going forward. And we've got some really big news that has dropped since I recorded that interview. And Dana's going to go over that a little bit later in the hot notes. Uh, so why don't we do it? Why don't we get to the hot notes? Hot notes. All right, lead story today comes uh, from the New York Times, and they say, quote, the Justice Department's top leaders listened in stunned silence this month. One of their peers, they were told, had devised a plan, along with Trump, to oust Jeffrey Rosen as acting attorney general and wield the department's power to force Georgia state lawmakers to overturn the presidential election results. This unassuming lawyer who worked on the plan, his name is Jeffrey Clark, had been devising ways to cast doubt on the election results and to bolster Trump's continuing legal battles and the pressure on Georgia politicians. Because Mr. Jeffrey Rosen had refused the president's entreaties to carry out those plans, Mr. Trump was about to decide whether to fire Mr. Rosen and replace him with Mr. Clark. And Dana, you'll remember, we were talking about, like, who's this Jeffrey Rosen person? And I was like, well, he's a career official. I don't think he's going to go along with the bullshit. Turns out... We were right. He did not go along with the bullshit. The department officials convened on a conference call, then asked each other, what would you do if Mr. Rosen was dismissed? And the answer was unanimous. They would all resign in protest. Um, Their informal pact ultimately persuaded Trump to keep Rosen in place, calculating that a furor over mass resignations at the top of the Justice Department would eclipse any attention on his baseless accusations of voter (laughs) fraud. So he didn't he didn't not do it for the right reasons. He said, well, if everyone resigned en masse, it would take he wouldn't say en masse. If everyone resigned all at once, (laughs) it would take away attention from my lies. And so he didn't. And Trump's decision came only after Rosen and Clark made their competing cases to him in a bizarre White House meeting that two officials compared with an episode of The Apprentice, albeit one that could prompt a constitutional crisis. (laughs) This should be looked at in light of the impeachment article that will be sent to the Senate as Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has agreed to delay the impeachment trial until February 8th. Some people think that this shows weakness. I do not. I think this was a calculated, political, shrewd move by Chuck Schumer. I think it allows more evidence to come out about the insurrection, which will make it more difficult for Republicans to acquit. And I want to be clear here, not because they have morals, but because voters do. And voters will be holding them responsible. Uh, It's going to be more morally difficult for them to acquit. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, we had the momentum uh, right after the insurrection to get this vote to acquit and then additional vote to prevent him from running for office again. But that's not the case. They wouldn't have had 17 Republicans and they still don't today. But as we start to learn more we may be able to push more Republicans over the edge. And again, not because they have morals, but because the people who vote them into office do. And some of that evidence came to light this weekend, including the arrest of a man who had plans to assassinate Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Self-styled militia members from Virginia, Ohio, and other states also made plans to storm the Capitol days in advance and then communicated in real time as they breached the building on opposite sides and talked about hunting for lawmakers. And that's according to court documents filed Tuesday. While authorities have charged more than 100 individuals in the riot, details in the new allegations against three U.S. military veterans offer a very disturbing look at what they allegedly said to one another before, during and after the attack. Statements that indicate a degree of preparation and determination to rush deep into the halls and tunnels of Congress to make citizens arrests of elected officials. And they even mentioned sealing off the tunnels and, and putting gas in them. U.S. authorities charged the apparent leader 
of the Oath Keepers. Uh, that's an extremist group. Thomas Caldwell, 66, of Virginia. They're all from Virginia. In the attack, alleging that the Navy veteran helped organize a ring of dozens who coordinated their movements as they, quote, stormed the castle to disrupt the confirmation of uh, Biden's electoral college victory. Despite this, current Department of Justice officials and federal law enforcement officials are privately debating whether they should decline to charge some of the individuals who stormed the Capitol. It's a politically loaded proposition, but one alert to the practical concern that hundreds of such cases could swamp the local courthouse. You know, tough shit. The internal discussions are in the early stages. No decisions have been reached uh, whether to forego charging some of these folks. And that's according to multiple people familiar with the discussions. And we also learned that Trump's campaign paid more than $2.7 million over two years to individuals and firms that organized the January 6th rally that led to the riot. Uh, And that's according to the Center for Responsive Politics. And these payments, which span Trump's reelection campaign, show an ongoing financial relationship between rally organizers and Trump's political operation. They were all made through November 23rd, the most recent date covered by the Federal Election Commission's filings, which is before the rally was publicly announced. I'm sure we'll see more in the next FEC filing. So that's where we are. Yeah, and I I, I want them to collect as much evidence as possible. For a second, I was like, how does this have anything to do with the insurrection? But people, we have to realize that any sort of uh, fuel about the election um, should be overturned, that it was not a fair and free election, that we should throw out votes, all of that added to this uh, disinformation campaign that led to the insurrection. So all that can be used as evidence in the trial, which is a beautiful thing. Um, One of the beautiful things that I feel, this new president, President Biden, is preparing to reverse a Trump administration policy that prohibits U.S. funding for non-governmental groups that provide or refer patients for abortions. Now, the first of several moves reproductive rights advocates are hoping to see from this administration. Uh, Prepared remarks released by the White House on Thursday, the dreamy Dr. Anthony Fauci tells the World Health Organization Executive Board that Biden will soon revoke the Mexico City policy, uh, quote, as part of his broader commitment to protect women's health and advance gender equality at home and around the world. So this policy was actually first instituted by the Reagan administration, which has a lot to do with the religious right, because I think if we all recall, even senior Bush senior up until the Reagan administration was actually pro Choice. Anyway, let's continue. Um, it, this um, administra- the uh, policy has ping-ponged on and off between Republican and Democrat presidents ever since, as we've seen. Trump reinstituted and expanded the policy, which critics described as a gag rule within days of taking office. An analysis published in 2019 in the medical journal The Lancet found that the Mexico City policy actually, and this has been proven several times, increased the abortion rate in at least some affected countries, likely because also reduced access to contraception. We have seen the abortion rate drop under every Democratic president because we can have access to contraception. It's not that hard. So Trump later... (laughs) It's not that... Hey, AG, stop it now. Okay. Sorry. Trump later cut off funding through the federal Title X family planning program to domestic health care providers that perform or refer patients for abortion, prompting organizations, including Planned Parenthood, to withdraw from the program. So both Trump administration actions were lauded by anti-abortion rights groups, which object to public funding for organizations that are in any way involved in abortion or abortion referrals. Anyway, because we all know that Planned Parenthood takes how many dollars from the federal government to abortions? 
Zero. 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 And we have to remember places like Planned Parenthood. But we, you know, uh, we have to defund their breast exams. Exactly. And cervical <laughs> cancer screenings. Those are definitely not good for the public. Oh, and transgender health care. Also mm-hmm. not good for the right wing yeah. bigots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Fortunately, that's going away. Now, this is something else we've found out since the insurrection, between the insurrection and impeachment. Trump pushed the Department of Justice to directly ask the Supreme Court to invalidate Joe Biden's election win. This is according (laughs) to people familiar uh, with the matter who spoke to the Wall Street Journal. This effort was part of Trump's massive pressure campaign on the Justice Department in his final weeks to overturn his election loss, which also included, as we talked about, plans to fire Jeffrey Rosen, acting attorney general, uh, and replace him with the relatively unknown Justice Department lawyer who was willing to use the department to support Trump's lies about about the election. The effort ultimately failed. Uh, again, as, as we talked about, everyone f- uh, threatened to resign. Everyone threatened to resign, uh, Rosen, along with former <laughs> Attorney General Barr and former Acting Solicitor Gener- General Jeffrey Wall, refused to file a Supreme Court case, uh, citing that there was no basis to challenge the election outcome and the federal government had no legal interest in whether Trump or Biden won the presidency. <laughs> so th- this is probably one of the reasons Rosen, he wanted to yank Rosen. Um, and, and, and install that Jeffrey Clark dude. Of course. He does this everywhere. Yeah. And also, uh, Senators Whitehouse, Wyden, Smith, Blumenthal, Hirono, Kane, and Brown have filed a complaint with the Senate Ethics Committee against Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley over their role in the Capitol insurrection. And the senators have said they want a thorough and fair investigation. So that is also going on. Uh, ethics, Senate Ethics Committee. We might be hearing a lot from, from them. Uh, this this session. So, uh, Ag, quick question before I get to the last very positive story. Any of the stuff that we've talked about today, can there be charges federally since Trump didn't pardon himself? Is there anything here that's illegal or that could be deemed as illegal in these? I mean, just a quick, just a quick beans on it. Is there anything that they can do? Yeah, I mean, these, you know, that's kind of why they're trying to do it through impeachment. But they can also, it is a federal crime to interfere in an election like that and right. and especially if he f- or if he funded the insurrection of course um, yes you know there there's all sorts of federal crimes there of course we need to wait until uh, Merrick Garland is confirmed to see if Biden's justice department has an appetite to go after those things but these can also be gone after in local jurisdictions for example we talked about the Fulton Georgia Fulton County Georgia district attorney perhaps looking into election interference uh crimes Wonderful. With, good, with good, the good. president, and this would fall under that jurisdiction. Wonderful. Thank you. I just wanted to get a little bit of uh, hope, I guess, for the listeners of like, something can be done. Um, <laughs> well, this brings me great joy, this next story, because it affected um, negatively a lot of my trans friends at the beginning of the Trump administration. But... Um, Uncle Joe's fixing it. The Biden administration is expected to repeal the ban on transgender Americans from serving in the military. This is from multiple people informed of the decision told CBS News. The announcement's expected as soon as Monday. Today, as you're listening to this, one senior defense official and four outside advocates of the repealing the ban told CBS. Now, the senior defense official told the news the repeal will be through executive order. 
signed by President Joe Biden. The announcement is expected to take place at a ceremony with newly confirmed Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, who will order the Pentagon to go back to the policy enacted in 2016 by former Defense Secretary Ash Carter that allowed transgender Americans to serve openly. The argument against this that was so absolutely ridiculous is the cost of medical care for our trans troops as they go through transition or anything involved with that, which is a minute fraction of any other cost uh, with what it what it is to take care of our troops, not to mention they don't even talk about all of the um, medical um, mental health uh, help that goes to our cis troops that apparently they're not taking into consideration with that. So this makes me a very happy. Charlotte's going to talk more about it in the show. And uh you, I think you're going to learn a lot. I think you will learn a lot about this, uh, the subject in this uh, mm-hmm. episode of the beans. Yeah. And, um, you know, I helped work on developing health programs Thank uh, you. for, for openly transgender people, for transgender people serving openly in the military. I saw all the white papers. I saw all the studies. I saw the, the, te- the congressional testimony. It's awesome. It's great. No one's mad. We're moving forward. Love it. And, um, and so now we're going back to that. And also something today Lloyd Austin did, which I, I tweeted out multiple times is that his first official act uh, as Secretary of Defense, is to get all the information and and studies that he can on the current um, programs to prevent sexual assault and harassment in the military, and that is something that needs to be addressed swiftly. Uh, it's been ignored for the last four years. They were they were just starting to work on it um, before, and uh, so that's that's also being uh, brought back. And so that was his first official. Um, request as as secretary of defense so um good day uh it's been a good weekend and we'll continue to see good news like this and we'll continue to bring it to you and we'll be right back with that discussion that you mentioned with uh, activist and army veteran charlotte Clymer about tom cotton's false claim that he was an army ranger and the future of lgbtq plus rights in the biden administration so stay with us after these messages we'll be right back All right, everybody, welcome back. Joining me today is a friend of mine. She's a writer, um, Army veteran, activist. Please welcome Charlotte Clymer. Charlotte, welcome. Hello, friend. How are you doing? I'm doing so much better this week than I was last week. How about you? Oh, my goodness. It is night and day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's nice to like wake up and think about the projects I'm working on or where we're going to go from here or what needs to be done or how we're going to get the work done instead of waking up and just like fearing for the safety of the country, you know, um, it's been very nice. And I wanted to talk to you about two things today. In this first little segment, you wrote a piece on your Substack about Tom Cotton and something that Tom Cotton did. Can you tell us, first of all, how this was brought to your attention? Who Who is Tom Cotton and what did he say? So Tom Cotton is uh, the senator, one of the senators from Arkansas, a Republican senator. Uh, if, if, you know, and, and he is, he's made a lot of news of the last couple of years, but Notably, he was the one who wrote a New York Times op-ed defending the use of military force against Black Lives Matter protesters last summer in Washington, D.C. during that heinous period in which police um, were, were attacking protesters and which, you know, Trump tried to mobilize the military uh, against protesters. He was, you know, uh, uh, he was an ardent defender of that. Um, now, 
it comes from this bombastic, uh, very aggressive view of patriotism, which I would really call white supremacist nationalism, uh, not patriotism. And uh, on Sunday, Salon came out with a story describing how Tom Cotton lied about his service record during his first congressional campaign and has subsequently uh, alluded to this lie. Now, here's the lie. He said he deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan as an army ranger. Now, he did graduate ranger school and he did deploy to both Iraq and Afghanistan, but he did not do so as an army ranger. This can be confusing for uh, civilians. And so in my article, what I tried to do was describe the difference between the two. And it's kind of like the difference between uh, perhaps graduating from Harvard Law School and and erroneously claiming that you uh, earned a Supreme Court clerkship, right? It's it's very I mean it's it's very it's an honorable uh, accomplishment to graduate from Harvard Law School, of course, but it's not nearly the same ballpark as getting a clerkship at the Supreme Court. Now, for him, uh, he graduated Ranger School, which of course is a great accomplishment, but the 75th Ranger Regiment, which is uh, one of the you know most elite fighting forces in the world, and certainly the premier light infantry unit in the United States, is a far cry from Ranger School. They're just not the same at all. Um, and by framing it the way he did, he implied to the public, and specifically the citizens of Arkansas, that he served with this elite uh, special forces unit uh, when he did not. Now, you can actually serve with this elite special forces unit without having graduated from ranger school. Is, is that correct? Did I did I read that right? You, yes, that is absolutely correct. Um, now, the, the way it usually happens is a brand new private uh, will, you know, graduate from uh, infantry basic training, you know, go through their advanced training, which is part of the same course. And then they'll uh, go to RASP, which is Ranger Assessment and Selection Program, uh, which is the entry, the entryway into the 75th Ranger Regiment, because it is the only unit, uh, of the, well, the only mainline unit, I would say, where you have to enter a selection program in order to get into it. Uh, that is not, that is not specifically U.S. Special Forces, right? So, Little, little, little in the weeds there, but essentially, it's very hard to get into this unit. Very, very hard. So, a, a brand new private get into it by doing that, um, and they don't have to go to Ranger School uh, before they go in. But once they get into that unit, to the 75th Ranger Regiment, they are looked down upon, <laughs> uh, most certainly because they have not graduated Ranger School quite yet. Now, they could deploy with the 75th Ranger Regiment. And if they do, uh, it changes quite a bit for them. Now, the reason I'm saying all this is because as you pointed out, there can be members of the 75th Ranger Regiment who are quite literally army rangers and who are respected as army rangers without having yet graduated ranger school. Tom Cotton is not that. And the soldiers in the 75th Ranger Regiment who have not yet graduated ranger school have, have far more of a claim to call themselves Army Rangers than Tom Cotton ever will. 
And so do we know if Tom Cotton tried to apply for the 75th Regiment? I have no idea. Uh, he may have. He may have not. We do know he for, he served in the 101st Airborne. He did a combat tour to uh, either Iraq or Afghanistan, and then a, a second tour to the other theater, uh, but did not participate fully in combat in the second one. But But here's the thing. Tom Cotton's service record is quite admirable. Right. That's what I was thinking. Like, why would you even lie about that? You know, it just it seems odd to to have such a good service record and still try to embellish it. That's right. It's very strange. It's very, very odd. I mean, he he did a combat tour as a platoon leader. Uh, he earned the com, uh, combat infantryman's badge, uh, which which is which is which is a high honor for an infantryman uh, or a member of the U.S. infantry. And he did so as a platoon leader, which is even more difficult. But for some reason, he found it necessary to blatantly lie about his service record and not even embellish it. I mean, this was a blatant lie. He, he knew what he was telling the public and he knew what the public would believe. And he certainly knew the difference between the two and why it's important not to lie about that. Um, so I, I just, I don't understand the man. Um, I guess he is suffering from this need to, I guess, court the John Wayne vote in this country uh, for, for, for 2024, perhaps. That's an interesting way to put it, the John Wayne vote, because he, he's not the only one, right? I mean, now this is specifically different circumstances, but there is a representative in Congress named Cawthorn who has indicated that he is a, a military veteran, and that isn't the case either. I think his situation uh, was that he claims he had been accepted to the Naval Academy, and then it turned out he hadn't. And I, I don't know if there are other details to this, but I mean, he, he did claim that he had been accepted to the Naval Academy, uh, or, or may have, I don't want to say he said he served the, uh, or that he you know matriculated there, but he definitely said he was accepted and he was not. And then he said that he was training as a U.S. Olympic Paralympian, and he did not. And, you know, let me point out, folks, if, if a Democrat did any of this, if a Democrat said they had been uh, accepted to the Naval Academy, bare minimum accepted to the Naval Academy when they hadn't, or God forbid, if they said they had deployed as an Army Ranger when they hadn't, their career would be over. That's it. We can call it a wrap. Yeah, you're, you're right. And then there's this further problem um, that that we have as uh, kind of veterans. I at least it's something that I face because I was never a combat veteran. I just wasn't alive at the correct time or we didn't get called in. I mean, we all signed up thinking we might. Right. Like that was a, a distinct possibility. And, and that's sort of where a little bit of the honor comes from. But even if you're in a support position in a billet that is non-combat, but and, and it's only like two or three percent or something very low of veterans who who can have the distinction of combat veteran, but that it's somehow you're somehow less of a veteran if you did not serve in combat. And I think that that is also something that needs to change. And, and this lie by Tom Cotton, even though he what he did two tours. Uh, sort of lends to that that kind of ugly sort of stereotype that that a lot of most veterans have, and and they did sign up and they did serve honorably. 
Yeah, and there and there's this stigmatization to what we call support billets. Um, and for those who don't know, support billets can be anything from something like a signal person who does who works with technology, satellites, etc., to intelligence. Uh, you know, someone who gathers the intel that uh, helps our frontline units. Uh, the people who uh, uh, perhaps feed infantry units. Um, you know, there, there are so many roles in the military that are honorable, hardworking, and absolutely brave, who put themselves in harm's way, even if they're not directly engaged in combat on a constant basis. And by the way, I was never a combat veteran. You know, I served in the infantry. I, I'm combat arms, uh, but I did not deploy as the infantry. Uh, and I did not deploy at all. Uh, and so, you know, the reason I bring that up is because there have been times when my service record has been mis misrepresented by a journalist or by someone, just an honest, good faith mistake. And I have been intentional to point out that, hey, no, 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 I, you need to get it right. I did not deploy. And I, I need folks to know that because, you know, I don't lay claim to something I haven't done. Even if it, even if it's a, a, a mistake on the part of someone else, it's incumbent upon us as service members to ensure that our record is represented accurately and to ensure that we're not getting credit for things we did not do. Right. And also that it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's okay that you didn't do that. <laughs> I, I'm, you know, most of the Navy is, is going to be support because, you know, we all work on a boat trying to make the boat go forward. And, you know, we don't really run into other navies that could even possibly want to come within any, you know, reasonable distance of our navy, uh, just because they're totally outgunned. But, uh, you know, I, I went to Nuclear Power Training Command, and that is an extremely difficult school. Uh, and, you know, I made it through A school. I graduated uh, Nuke Power School. Uh, I was on my way to C school and then was discharged for medical reasons. So I never was a combat veteran either. But there's a lot of, you know, a lot of those of us who have PTSD um, from other things <laughs> that can happen to you while you're in the military. Yep. And, you know, it, you have to live with sort of this imposter syndrome that, 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 that things and, and, and stuff like what Tom Cotton does just makes it that much more difficult. It's, I don't understand the concept of the Republicans owning patriotism and being the ones who support veterans when they so rarely do. That's exactly right. And, you know, just to, just to cotton on to what you said right there, uh, I think that there is this intrinsic tying of combat service and misogyny so often with those uh, in combat arms. And this is certainly not everyone. Um, there, there are so many great men in the military who would never make a link between combat service and, and masculinity. Uh, but there is this sense that if you do not serve in combat arms, um, and then, you know, if you don't like serve in special forces or if you, if you don't get your ranger tab, then you're somehow not a real man. Um, and, and that goes to this very deep well of how women are perceived by some in the military, that even to this day, women are disrespected for their service by their ostensible brothers in arms. Yeah. And I know so many combat veterans, they're not the type to want to go out and put on a brochure or what they did or, or brag about it. Or, you know, it was just kind of they just viewed it as their job and they're, you know, very humble and, and cool about it. And it, it's it's I have found that it's mostly 
Um, you know, for a while before I started podcasting, I would go stolen valor hunting on social media. There would be people who, you know, were Trump supporters and I was in served tours and I was in combat and F you, you're dumb and all this other stuff. And I'd be like, all right, show me your, you know, show me a photo of you at, at, at basic or what, you know, what, no, F you, I don't have to, uh, you know, and you're, they're just totally making everything up and you can sort of feel it and you can tell when this sort of toxic masculinity comes out, they want to be more than they are and they they just they didn't they didn't actually do the work. It's it's it kind of goes with the sociopathy of a Trump supporter. It does. It does. And if you look at these, you know, riots or crowds of uh, of white supremacists that, you know, whether it be state capitals or the attack on the uh, the Capitol on January 6th, the U.S. Capitol, these folks are you, you look at them and they've clearly bought all this military gear online. And it, it, it's not even. God, I don't even know how to explain this without, you know, getting too much in the weeds. But, you know, even in infantry units, we mock the dude who buys too much gear because he's mm -hmm. being a dork. <laughs> yeah. Like, why do you need that gear? It's 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 frowned upon. They're LARPers, right? That's cosplay. They're, they're, they're pretending. They're absolutely pretending. And it, it goes to the way that, you know, so many of these folks, they don't feel like real men. Uh, unless they are actively engaged in uh, some kind of weird military cosplay. And it's it's so tragic and sad. Mm, it is. Uh, hey, I want to talk to you a little bit more uh, while I have you, because I want to talk to you about the future of the work that we need to do uh, in the LGBTQ plus community with the Biden administration. Will you stay with me until after this break? Of course. Thank you so much, everybody. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We are talking with Charlotte Clymer. Uh, activist, army veteran, all around wonderful person. And I I wanted to talk to you a little bit. You did another piece. Um, and uh, this one was for, I believe, Independent in UK. And it, this was about the, the first week and again, then the future of the Biden administration and LGBTQ plus rights. So can you talk a little bit about what you said in your piece? Sure. Well, the first day of Biden's uh, term, he signed a number of executive orders, and one of them was a federal-wide ban on discrimination on the basis of gender identity and sexual orientation. Now, the reason that's important is because for the past four years, we have seen Trump and Pence attempt to implement these horrific policies that enable or encourage discrimination against LGBTQ people under the federal government's purview. Well, this past summer, the Supreme Court, in this case called uh, Bostock v. Clayton County, uh, which was a, a conglomerate case, it was uh, three cases decided as one about whether LGBTQ people can be discriminated against by their employers, whether they can be fired or denied hiring, et cetera. And the Supreme Court, in a surprising 6-3 majority, with <laughs> and this was back even when even when RBG Rest Her Soul was part of the Supreme Court, and it was a 5-4 conservative majority, 6-3 went ahead and said that you know LGBTQ people are protected in, in the workplace from discrimination, which is amazing. So what the Biden administration essentially did was that they took this, the Supreme Court's decision on employment rights, and they expanded it to every other policy area under federal purview. Now this is amazing. Like this is a this is an iconic milestone moment for LGBTQ quality. You cannot understate understate how great it is. But it does not go nearly far enough. Um, and, and we know that and, and certainly the Biden administration knows that. And I'll get to that in a second. 
because in most of the United States right now, LGBTQ people are still vulnerable to discrimination in housing, public accommodations, jury service, credit, uh, you know, so many areas of the public square because either state jurisdictions lack protections against discrimination for LGBTQ people or discrimination is specifically permitted in so many of these mm. states. Yeah. And and I know that, um, in fact, this is actually, I you know, I've worked at the Department of Veterans Affairs for over a decade, and we actually had that before Trump. We were, they had that language for, for the Department of Veterans Affairs. I'm not sure if there were other agencies that were involved in this, but because, you know, the Department of Veterans Affairs has been serving LGBTQ plus folks for decades. And so they're like, look, we can't not have this language in there. And they also actually had something in there. This all came out under Obama uh, and um, Secretary uh, Shulkin, and I think even a little bit before that, maybe even with Shinseki, but they also put uh, that you couldn't discriminate for familial situation, meaning there were a lot of people who were being discriminated against because they had kids or because they didn't have kids. And I thought that that was a really incredible, important distinction. And then when this administration came in, they wiped that all out and just did the old standard, you know, from uh, from before. And so, you know, it was it was actually there and then taken away. And so it's been restored. And that's beautiful and incredible. And I'm so happy about that. And, and now you you say we have more work to do. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about how we're going to kind of correct the patchwork now of states that have different uh, equality rights and things like that. We have something in Congress right now that could pass. Uh, and, and let's talk about that. You are absolutely right. I'm glad you brought that up. It's called the Equality Act. Yeah, and basically, this legislation would ban all discrimination against LGBTQ people at the federal level um, and, and really uh, uh, throughout the United States. Uh, so, you know, you, you couldn't discriminate against LGBTQ people um, in any areas of the public square with this with the passage of this legislation. Here's the great news. It is widely popular. Uh, this morning, ABC put out a poll uh, asking about uh, different policy areas as they relate to Biden. And his signing of this executive order on the 20th was supported by 83% of respondents, including, I want to say, 54, 55% of Republicans. Wow. And that's actually a high number, but it, it tracks with previous polling, even during the Trump administration. Uh, when the Equality Act was first passed in the last uh, congressional session, I think something like eight or nine uh, Republicans came over and voted for it. Uh, it enjoyed something in the area of 70% of support from Amer Americans in polling. Uh, there were large groups of clergy members and business leaders who came out and supported the Equality Act. So this is an enormously popular piece of legislation. And the only reason it didn't become law is because, is because Mitch McConnell refused to bring it to the floor of the U.S. Senate for consideration because he knew that there would be Republican senators who would have to vote for it or they would be vulnerable to being defeated for their reelection campaigns. And also there's some other things that I think that will, you know, that uh, will be able to push the Biden administration to do uh, that you mention in your in your in the piece that you wrote for Substack, or excuse me, for The Independent, you talk about um, maybe per perhaps 
assembling a commission, a task force to deal with violence against transgender people, particularly transgender women of color. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Well, there's an ongoing epidemic of violence against trans and non-binary people, and, and particularly black and brown women. Uh, last year, 44 trans non-binary people were murdered. Uh, the year before that, I think it was 31 or 32. Um, you know, last year was the deadliest year on record. Uh, this year could also be the deadliest year on record. Uh, and that actually, you know, tragically break that number from last year. Uh, there's this ongoing just onslaught of violence and discrimination against trans people that has to be addressed. And, you know, there are, there are many reasons for this. You know, one is the, or, you know, are the high rates of homelessness, unemployment, uh, uh, you know, certainly other areas of um, discrimination enabled policy areas for trans non-binary people that put us uh, and specifically more vulnerable trans folks into vulnerable and even more vulnerable positions where uh, they can be killed. And the only way this is going to be sufficiently addressed is looking at these policy areas and seeing what can be done. And there are so many things that can be done. So what activists are urging the Biden administration to do is build this task force. And I, and I, I certainly expect it will be done because, hmm. um, you know, a task force is one of those things that it's just it's one of the easiest things in the world to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you, you, and I, you and I worked in the federal government. Yeah. Uh, we, we've seen many of these. In fact, just this week, um, the Biden administration put together a task force <clears throat> to assess uh, the impact of domestic violent extremism. Uh, so that uh, and and this is how it works, right? You put together the task force, you put a bunch of subcommittees together, you assess the the, the issue, you do studies and white papers, then you put based on the the what you find and those data, you put together and create policy and then implement policy to combat whatever the issue is that you were studying. And and it, it, it he just did it with the domestic violent extremism, and they can do it here as well. And interesting, interestingly, it's the best of both worlds because. You know, not only is it the way that technically the federal government should work is you bring together a bunch of experts uh, to, to get something done and advise the government, but it's also a great way of dragging your feet a little bit. Um, now, that's not what's happening here, of course, but, you know, for example, if there's a controversial issue faced by uh, a presidential administration or, uh, you know, by some other agency, what they can do is put together a group that will study the issue, quote unquote, study the issue for six to 12 months and then come up with a recommendation. I don't think that's going to happen here. I mean, there this will be much quicker. Well, we did this. Mattis did this with transgender people in the military. Right. He put together a task force. I, I helped. I was part of this. Um, my sort of niche was to develop uh, health programs in the Department of Defense Medical Health Services uh, to serve uh, transgender communities uh, of, of transgender people serving. Thank you for that, by the way. <laughs> No problem. But that's but that's what we did. And we were just wrapping up and we had done all these white papers and there was one on is it going to impact morale? Is it going to do this? Is it going to do that? Is it going to cost it? And, it? and Mattis was like, nope, everything's fine. Let's go ahead. And then, bam, that tweet came out. Oh, my goodness. I mean, and I, you know, what's so interesting about this is that, you know, as you know, but that some of your listeners may not, is that there was a period of three years, literally three years where trans people could serve openly in the military and nothing happened. <laughs> nothing <laughs> bad happened. Um, the the heads of every service uh, testified before the Senate Armed Services Committee, and they were asked by Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, you know, have there been any issues, like any issues with unit readiness, 
um, morale, anything like that. And each one of them said, no, no, the trans people have served honorably and we, we have not seen any, you know, deleterious effect on, you know, how our, our services are able to function with the uh, uh, open service of transgender uh, people. And so there was that three-year period. And then, as you said, you know, the DOD, I think, released uh, a cost assessment. I think Rand also did one, or maybe there was, it, was, it was in conjunction with each other. And then, yeah, Trump, Trump weaponized uh, this horrific right-wing, extremist right-wing policy position just for its uh, political efficacy. Yeah, and it was it was a really dark day. Um, I remember it well. Uh, and but that is something else that that this administration can address. Um, and I, I'm I'm I have a lot of confidence that they will. Uh, they've got a lot on their plates, uh, as as you said. But there are some other things too that uh, you had mentioned um, in your piece. I think you talked about uh, eradicating HIV. There's just so much that that we can do now that we have the majority in the Senate and we have in all of our agencies um, more socially conscious people. Right. And what I would say for some of the policy folks who are listening to your very popular podcast is that I would urge them to. Um, look at the ways that trans people are, are treated in federal agencies. You know, two of the recommendations that activists uh, like myself been pushing um, is to, you know, number one, ensure that trans people who are incarcerated are done so in facilities that align with their gender identity. Now, that has been done for years prior to Trump, uh, both under both under Bush uh, and uh, Obama. Uh, trans people were treated according to their gender identity. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a perfect policy, but at least it was the federal government recognizing gender identity and, and responding um, in a responsible way. And then Trump rolled that back uh, and, and implemented policies that, you know, put trans people in harm's way by placing them in extremely dangerous positions in which they can be harmed uh, because they're tr- transgender. Um, the second thing you know, are those trans folks who are undocumented and held in the custody of uh, ICE or CPB, they need to be released immediately. Uh, You know, so many trans people come to this country for asylum uh, from environments in which they are attacked by the state in their home countries for being transgender or non-binary. And it's essential that we release uh, you know, universally trans non-binary people from custody of these agencies and, you know, permit them to live, you know, openly as, you know, undocumented, uh, well, not undocumented, you know, as, certainly as, as folks who are seeking amnesty in our country and, and give them all the resources they need. Yeah, agreed. I, I really appreciate your time today. And I'm, I'm thankful that you're here to break this down for us. Uh, I was hoping you could tell uh, listeners where they can find your work and, and, and where they can follow you on social media. Of course. Well, I just started a Substack. I'm, I'm one of the uh, latest insufferable writers to uh, get on that website. Uh, you can find it at charlotteclimer.substack.com. And you can also follow my work on Twitter at cmclimer. 
uh, and I would, you know, I'm, I'm very engaging. I, I, I love to uh, talk with folks on, you know, through email or on Twitter. So if you ever have any questions, reach out to me and I'm happy to, to chat about them. Open door policy. Awesome. Thank you so much, Charlotte, for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you for your work for the past four years. I cannot thank you enough for everything you've done. Same right back at you. Seriously. I think we've all kind of helped keep each other afloat through this. And, and now it's time to roll up our sleeves and get to work. Damn right. <laughs> Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Uh, if you have any good news stories, personal or political, or if you have any confessions, or if you have a dispute at home you would like settled in Amy's court on Fridays, uh, please send them into, or corrections too, we take corrections, send them into us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Dana, I'm very excited about today's good news. We have some amazing submissions. I can't wait to get to them. You want to kick us off? Yeah, I'll kick us off. This first one comes from Lizzie, pronouns she and her. This is Cat. My mom, who hates cats and pets in general, is Cat's mama. My dad, who was out on the farm and found a litter of kittens somebody dropped off on the highway. People oh do this. They, they dump pets in the middle of nowhere. It's awful. I want to kick those people in bad places. I know. And these baby cats met the fate most pets do now. Coyotes got them, except for one who was scrambling up my dad's pant leg in terror before he'd processed what had happened. Oh, my goodness. So, Cat got brought home to the city. He's deeply traumatized, won't go outside, hides from visitors. But this is a good news story. Cat attached himself to my mom, the cat hater. Of course. <laughs> That's what cats do. He spends his days in her lap getting petted while my mom dotes on him. It's good for both of them. COVID has been tough on mom. Cat cheers her this up. This cat is adorable <sighs> and beautiful. And I think everyone listening knows if you're allergic or you hate cats, they will want to be your best friend. They will rub up mm -hmm. on your face. They will put their little butt in your nose and mm -hmm. they just want you to touch them. If you're yep, allergic or you hate them, they will try and convince you otherwise. <laughs> I always look ass in the face. I'm like, you're fucking up my chi. I know. Stop it. <laughs> I don't need to see your third eye, mister. Keep it moving. <laughs> All right. I think wonderful. I, I'm glad that, you know, you change one, one person at a time. That's what we got to do. Uh, this next submission is from Ann Panda, pronouns she and her. We are clearing the Cheeto dust that was caked at the corners of our eyes. This is more of a comment than good news or a confession. One of your commenters the other day mentioned that they found it both weird and wonderful that they felt this real connection with other people that they interacted with here. I'm going on record to say that it's not imagined and it is real and it is good. I first connected with other panda lovers on Facebook and then on Twitter. Went to my first panda convention in 2013 in San Diego to see the baby Mr. Wu when he was but a toddler. I think he spent most of the visit in a panda-shaped ball in a tree, but some of the people I met there have become true friends. And that goes for some who I have never met but interact with almost daily on Hashtag Panda Twitter. Community is where you find it, and you have to build a lovely community here. My Panda community has saved my insanity these last four years, as have the podcasts I've found that inform me and get me through the day. The swears are much appreciated. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid all I have for Pod Pet Tax is a painting I did of my beloved Ma Mahitabel. You think that's close? Mahita Bell? Yeah, yeah. I've never seen that before. Yeah. So Mahita Bell. Uh, some years back, she departed around Inauguration Day of 2017. She knew it was time to skedaddle, but I had almost 21 years with her. She lives in my cartoons with a discreet little halo around her head. I know I have some photos of her somewhere, but I can't find them at the moment. Uh, speaking of which, Zoo News 
Z-O-O-N-O-O-Z, has an exclusive um, an image of the letter Cheeto left for President Biden. Isn't it great to be able to use the word president and mean it? I add that below with my pet pod tax. Now, this painting is oh. adorable, first of all. Second of all, panda bears are like drunk adults in panda <laughs> costumes, and they're my favorite GD thing on the planet. I love panda bears. Yeah, zoo news. I'm I'm a San Diego Zoo member. We get the zoo news. And ah. this is I think this is the same and this is incredible. Uh, yeah. You know, San Diego Zoo is famous for their pandas. Yeah. I'm also a red panda fan, but this is, uh, this is great. We'll put this, uh, cartoon in, in the newsletter for everyone. Um, but the, the, <laughs> the letter is dear loser. They told me I had to write this, even though I totally won. You have not seen the last of mittens. J cat. Yeah. <laughs> 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 really good it's really cute thank you for that and you're right community is where we find it it's where we make it it's where we build it and it's where we hang out and uh, i'm happy to have this one very very happy to have this one next up from uh, nancy pronouns she and her i was just listening to the podcast about how hard a time people are having signing their parents up to get the vaccine what Next, TBD, why the vaccine websites suck. <laughs> and I decided to write in with some good news that I almost sent a couple weeks ago. My mother got a call to schedule her vaccination without having to do anything. She got her first dose on the 12th and gets her second one on my 64th birthday. She's 88 and lives in a senior independent living apartment building. So no group vaccinations of everyone living there. I don't know much about how the rollout of the vaccine is being handled here in Colorado overall. But from where I sit, it seems pretty good. Our insurance emailed and texted my husband to sign up to get in line for our doses, so we did. I don't know when they'll get to us, but I feel confident that they'll let us know as soon as we're eligible. For pod tax, I'm including a picture of our three cats, Oliver on the back of the chair, his brother Simon on the arm of the chair, and Ariel in their, in their usual spot when it's nice and sunny outside. It's so Aww. sweet. All these cats are on the same <laughs> chair. I am so allergic to that chair. Uh, <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm so glad that people, you know, there's such horrible rollout stories in so many places. So it's nice to get the good news on some of them. So thank you for that very much. Uh, this next one is from Phil Pronouns, he and him. Seriously, baby bean here. Found you from Open Args. Already in love. Like my first episode was the day before Biden's inauguration. <laughs> you were a baby, baby bean. Uh, so quick background on why this is good news to me. I am an infection control nurse with background in ICU. Thank, Thank you, you, by the way. I'm exhausted good. because I have been picking up ICU shifts anywhere that will have me because, well, we need a lot more nurses right now. I live in a very conservative area of the country, and I have a lot of very conservative family. Needless to say, it's been a battle to get them to understand the Velveeta Baltimore is a complete dumbass and never, <laughs> never to be trusted. Also, this is relevant. I am gay, ultra liberal and an atheist. So you can just hear the arguments about how none of my education matters because I must be stupid and I'm going to hell anyway. Well, I'm trying hard to keep my aunt, the oldest living on my dad's side alive. And she's really adamant that I am going to hell, but somehow I still love her. Well, here's the good news part. She started wearing a mask and has agreed to get the vaccine. Seriously, I cried. I can't tell you what a step forward this is. Now that she's doing it, a lot of that side of the family will start to as well. This is huge for me. Thanks for the great show. Uh, for pet tax, find my attached pictures. Uh, first is a little black and white. This is Tucker. He is the three-year-old Papillon. And his sister, the second, is my old girl, the 10-year-old long-haired wiener dog named Razzie. <laughs> they keep me sane on long days and nights. And my goodness, they are both Aww. adorable. Oh, look at the razzle-dazzle dog. 
I can't, hey. there's so much emotion and like, I, I I, there's so many things happening in this <laughs> sweet pup's eyes. I know. So cute. Uh, I'm going to do the next two here because one of them's super short. Do it. Next up from Joan, pronoun she and her. My daughter, Sandy Gutman, pronoun she and her, is an assistant curator at the Hirschborn Museum in Washington, D.C. and will be hosting a virtual artist talk featuring the Gorilla Girls on January 27th. That's at home on art and behaving badly. It's from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Again, that's the Gorilla Girls on January 27th. Uh, at home on art and behaving badly from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And again, we'll share that link on the socials and in the newsletter. And then up next from Greg Robin, he, him, pronounced Greg Grobin. Greg Grobin. Okay. Greg Robin. Grobin. Unto the lions. uh, Unto the lions of the Laguma Laguma Getty. Oh, like Serengeti, but for beans. Oh, I like it. I'm a proud patron and sponsor. Weeper at the Poem by Amanda Gorman. Same. And... Just seeing good government return. Longtime listener, praiser of your solid work in defense of sanity and sass. Hello and uh, thank you for reporting, for the reporting and humanity. You're welcome. Thanks, Greg Grobin. Good news. Where my, quote, essential union job has continued throughout this pandemic, my part-time performance gigs went away. I've managed okay, but miss sharing my music, Shakespeare, passion, writing, etc. Inspired by the beans, I started a Patreon account where I post my music videos, sonnets, sci-fi stories, and music collaborations, etc. It was simply, uh, I was simply happy that most of my stuff was just out there, free for anyone to see, when wham, I got my first patron. It was a shock. A month later, I have six... And I've used the income to do more collaborations with artists from San Francisco to Singapore and Spain to Uruguay and Iowa. (laughs) I included a a sample video link from YouTube and the Patreon account. I hope it brings a happy moment or two in your day. Peace, love, and subpoenas. Patreon.com slash Greg Robin, G-R-E-G-R-O-B-I-N. Or you can search YouTube for Greg Robin Smith. Attached pod pet tax, two of the animals in my life, Gus a brindle pit, who I know loves me because... He could eat my hand and doesn't. And Chonk of a cat who is named, I kid you not, Bean. She came to us with that name. Love them both. Love you, what you do, and who you are. Oh, I love that sign off of this cat. He's a kitty bean. Oh, look at the dog. Look at the brindle dog. Look at the dog. Look at the snout. Nose in the face. Look at the snout. Nose in the face. And he's got a little tiny smile. You have to look at the snout because you can't see anything else. So look at the snout. (laughs) I love it. Well, I hope you get much more, uh, many more, pa- much, much more hunger. I hope you get many more patrons. Um, mm. So thank you so much, Greg. Uh, next p- submission comes from Jen, pronouns she and her. Forgive me, Leguminati, for I have sinned. We live in a wooded area with lots of Ursine neighbors. So my husband installed a bird feeder on a pulley up in a cedar tree to try and make sure the birds get the first in line at the buffet during the lean winter months when songbirds need extra food assistance. The songbirds are food insecure during the winter. We buy seed treated with capsaicin. 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 Thank you, discouraged squirrel. (laughs) I feel like I'm on the electric company or like Sesame Street right now. I'm having a break to mental breakdown. We have, I'm like, English is new street is brought to you by our sign. I know. Okay, great. We have some bird identification books. Good. Can you send them to me, please? (laughs) We have some bird identification books and binoculars in the kitchen so that we can learn about them with our 12 year old son. And the cats have a great view of their favorite TV channel during the daylight hours. (laughs) 
(laughs) Last weekend, my husband was outside with me as I was filling our bird feeder. As usual, I grabbed the rope to hold the feeder with one hand while I unwound the other side from where it secured on the tree. I feel the feeder weakly and should know better, but this particular time I managed to grab the wrong side of the rope. So when I detached it from the tree, instead of letting the feeder down gently, I managed to send it crashing back to earth, right into my husband's (gasps) skull. It left him reeling with a hot pepper dust all over his head. The clang of the empty feeder on his head was remarkable. His eyes instantly... as instantly teared up, he doubled over and managed to go sit. Is this a good news story? Still, I can't I think remember. It's a confession. This Thank is a confession. You. Okay, he doubled over and managed to go sit on our patio. Oh, right. Forgive me for I've sinned. Uh, sit on his patio to catch his breath um, from the agony whilst I clamored my apologies over and over and over. <laughs> then he went inside so loudly to loudly announce to our son that his mom just attempted to kill his dad. <laughs> He texted our neighbor group to tell them off my tell them all of my transgression. My neighborhood BFF responded that she'd actually drugged her husband once when he was driving. Shit happens. <laughs> Accidentally. <laughs> Shit happened. And then today he tucked an on a further penalty. He tacked on a further penalty of writing to you to admit I accidentally brained my husband in one of my Patent to Lucille Ball moments. That's hysterical. So this is punishment. She had to write in and tell us that he, that she did it. Oh as- my <laughs> god! As pet tax, I'm attaching a picture of said feeder and one of my son's favorite birds, a downy woodpecker, and a photo of my coworker Hagrid using my desk lamp as a salamander heater and generally making me need to call HR on this work from home menace. Okay, so there's the scene of the crime. Yep, there's a scene. That is a long way down. <laughs> Holy shit. I can understand why he thought he, she was trying to kill him. Okay. This cat is a human with a cat costume. Yeah. And has a little beard and a mustache and a lot to say. He's so cute. And then the close-up of the downy woodpecker. Oh, look how pretty. Oh, so, so pretty. That is oh, so funny. Yeah. Thank you for these stories. I'm sorry I get caught up on the words. I mean, they're honestly the vocabulary from parts of life that I have no experience with. So I get to learn all kinds of new things on the beans. I appreciate it. Submitters, thank you very much for educating me. Well, Jen, it seems that you've paid your penance um, (laughs) for this by having to write in. That is so funny. I once accidentally drugged my husband while he was driving. (laughs) Shit happens. Shit happens. (laughs) <laughs> and then today he tacked on for further penalty of writing to you to admit I accidentally brained my husband in one of my patented Lucille Ball moments. Love this it. Is Absolutely wonderful. love it. My Thank goodness. you so much. <laughs> and uh, this is great. So now you can you can have your spouse, partner, roommate, child uh, write into us to admit to their wrongdoing as penalty. That is amazing. We have opened up a new door for confession submissions. I absolutely love it. If you lose a bet, perhaps you have to write in and, and say really wonderful things about somebody else's football team or, you know, uh, you know, just person in general. Uh, I like this. I think this is great. But it doesn't absolve you if it's a bad thing. Like, don't be Susan Collins and be like, if no. you write into the Daily Beans, all forgiven. No, 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 no for a browse. <laughs> um, but I appreciate this. I That's very creative. This is the first submission we've had where someone had to write in as punishment. <laughs> that is amazing. Absolutely amazing. 
Well, thank you so much. If you have something to submit, you can do so at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And then, of course, check Dana and I out Thursday live, Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific time on the Stereo app. Download it. It's free. It's awesome. Hey, G, what's Um, your handle on there so people can find you easily? I think it's Allison Gill. I think my handle is Allison Gill. And mine is DG Comedy, or you can just look up Dana Goldberg. So go on. Follow us. Do it. And we'll be putting uh, putting out links to that uh, in on Patreon. Uh, in we'll, we'll email it to patrons. We'll email it to our whole email list. We'll put it out on Twitter, Facebook, the Facebook group, and everywhere and on the public feeds as well for Daily Beans and, and everything else. So check it out. I look forward to it. Any final thoughts before we get out of here, Dana? No. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening. Uh, do something nice for someone, just a stranger. I don't even... Well, you can't smile at people right now because you should be wearing masks outside, but... You know, just leave a note, buy them a $10 Starbucks gift card and leave it on their windshield. Just do something nice. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And until then, until tomorrow, everyone, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is directed, written, and hosted by executive producer Allison Gill and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Audio. Staff writers include Dana Goldberg, Amy Carrero, and Allison Gill. Our copy is written by Jesse Egan, and our marketing manager, executive assistant, and social media director is Kanai. Fact-checking and research by Allison Gill, Dana Goldberg, and Amy Carrero. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder of Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>